The teaching for this evening comes from Isaiah chapter 1. This is God's word. How the faithful city has become a whore, she who was full of justice. Righteousness lodged in her, but now murderers. Your silver has become dross, your best wine mixed with water. Your princes are rebels and companions of thieves. Everyone loves a bribe and runs after gifts. They do not bring justice to the fatherless, and the widow's cause does not come to them. Therefore, the Lord declares, the Lord of hosts, the mighty one of Israel, "Ah, I will get relief from my enemies and avenge myself on my foes. I will turn my hand against you and will smelt away your dross as with lye and remove all your alloy. And I will restore your judges as at the first and your counselors as at the beginning. Afterward, you shall be called the city of righteousness, the faithful city. Zion shall be redeemed by justice and those in her who repent by righteousness. But rebels and sinners shall be broken together, and those who forsake the Lord shall be consumed. For they shall be ashamed of the oaks that you desired, and you shall blush for the gardens that you have chosen. For you shall be like an oak whose leaf withers, and like a garden without water. This is the word of the Lord. Good evening. It's good to be with you all again tonight, and something that I thought about as I was getting ready and studying about this passage this week was a family that I knew growing up in Huntsville, and this particular family in middle school, they had nine or ten children, big family, and they, they named all their children after Christian virtues, faith, hope, love, and charity, chastity. And even then, in middle school, I remember thinking, that is a lot to live up to. Those are beautiful names, beautiful things about the Christian faith, but a lot to live up to. What if charity's hateful? Or what if hope gets depressed a lot? What's it like to have a name like that? And, of course, besides our our birth names... We're all given uh, other names. We're all, we're all called um, other names during our lifetimes. Sometimes names that are very life-giving, right? He's so smart. He's so funny. Um, she's so intelligent. Um, he's so strong, hardworking. Um, you can think of other names that, that take life away, right? Um, they're, uh, they're lazy, they're stupid. They're, um, they're ugly. Of course, names are really important, aren't they? Very important in the Bible. And central to the Christian faith, the name of Jesus, very important. And Jesus means he'll save his people from their sins. And Isaiah, the book that we're looking at tonight, his name is very important too. Uh, in English, Isaiah and Jesus don't really sound anything alike. But if you look at the Hebrew, they're actually very similar, and they both basically mean God saves. And Isaiah was very important in his time. He lived about 700 years before Jesus. So think long, long time before Jesus. He was a contemporary of Jonah and the whale. Remember that story from the Old Testament? Uh, Isaiah lived during Hosea. And Gomer, if you remember that story. And 
During Isaiah's lifetime, um, the, the kingdom had been split north and south, and the great event during Isaiah's ministry was the tragedy of the invasion of his, of his country, his homeland, where Assyria comes in and invades the north and then the south and ships everyone off back to Assyria and then repopulates Judah in the south where Isaiah prophesied and then also Israel in the north. The only part of the country that remained still intact was Jerusalem, the great capital of God's kingdom. Jerusalem where the king... um, had his capital, which will be, become important later in the passage, Jerusalem where Isaiah ministered. And I want to look at three things about the passage tonight. Two names and a warning. Two names and a warning. The first name. Um, the, the thing that strikes um, maybe anybody that reads this passage kind of a first time through is the, the name at the beginning of the passage, which... Um, I think if we're honest, it, it almost sounds offensive. It's, it's, it's one of those names in Scripture where you kind of go, why did God put that there? But you see in verse 21. And the first thing to see about this name is that God names the church to wake her up. God names the church to wake her up. It says in verse 21, the faithful city has become a whore. It's this contrast between a city that was faithful and a city that had become a whore, God says. And, of course, the background to all of this is the seventh commandment. Uh, Wild always does a great job of this, right? Seventh commandment, husband and wife, they stick together. And God, the husband, had married Israel, the wife, and he had committed himself to Israel and loved Israel and had redeemed Israel from the slavery in Egypt. And yet God is saying that you could have been faithful and you were faithful for a time, but you've now become unfaithful. You've now left your husband who loved you. This was not, an, this was not an, an abusive relationship, but the opposite, where God had given everything to Israel and married her, made her his beloved. And God, right away in this passage, is naming the church, naming the city Jerusalem, a faithless one to wake her up because she had fallen asleep next to Assyria. Assyria, who she'd made a treaty with, but also uh, Israel and Judah at this time, Jerusalem, the city, had become very materialistic. And so God is trying to wake her up by using this harsh language. I mean, we've all been called names where it wounded us to the point where we almost never got over it. Like someone called you a name in fourth grade, and if you think about it, it still kind of hurts just a little bit. And they did that just being hateful and immature and what kids and adults do. Is that what God is doing here? No, it's not. Because God, he's using this harsh language to wake the city of God up. To wake the church up. And and you see Jesus even doing this in his ministry. Remember Jesus in the New Testament where he says, this whole generation, Jesus says, that he ministered to, you are an adulterous and sinful generation. Read the book of James. What does James say about the church that he's writing to? He says, You adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? God uses this language to wake the church up. Wake up. 
You've fallen asleep next to, next to your idols, and I want you to pay attention. So the, the next thing about this name is God names the church this way to show what the new normal in the church is. He names the church this way to show them, look what the new normal has become within you. Um, you see this in verse 21, where, where the scripture continues, She who was full of justice, righteousness lodged in her, but now murderers. He's creating this image of a balloon that was ready to pop because it was so full of justice. Or, um, I don't know, you've got a pot on the stove and it's running over. God is saying, this is who you were, who I created you to be full of justice, and now you're full of murderers. And the point, is he, the point here is that this is, sin's direction is totality. It's like uh, there's a bush in my backyard, and Dustin knows the name of it, but it's, uh, it's invasive, is that the right word? Where it's not content with this little spot in my backyard, but it wants to spread out over my entire backyard and take over. And that's what God is saying. Sin's direction, it wants all of you, church. Right? You were full of justice. Now you are full of murderers. And this happened despite great leadership within Israel. If you go back to the beginning of Isaiah, there's four kings that Isaiah ministers during the reign of. Ahaz, Uzziah, Hezekiah, and Jotham. All gifted leaders. All did the uh, demographic studies. They were all intelligent guys. who you know they, um, they knew how to get people's attention and to command a room. And Isaiah is saying, despite all this gifted leadership... This is what Jerusalem has been reduced to. A place full of murderers where there's no justice. And he continues, he uses this image of silver and dross. And he says, um, you used to be silver, but now you're all dross. You're all impurity. You used to be the best wine. The, 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 most, um, the kind of wine that you would enjoy the most. And now it's all watered down. This is what he's saying that has become of the church. The next thing about this name is that God names the church this way, faithless, a whore, to show how dehumanizing sin is. He just continues this description of what sin has done to Jerusalem. In verse 23 he says, Your princes are rebels and companions of thieves. Everyone loves a bribe and runs after gifts. They do not bring justice to the fatherless, and the widow's cause does not come to them. Because in Jerusalem at the time, the people had confused hatred of people with a love for God. And that's what happens many times in religious communities, right? Sin causes people to confuse hatred of people with love for God. What do I mean by that? So-and-so, you know, he loves God so much, he just spends all his time um, praying in his closet, and he's, he's translating scripture, and, um, he, you know, he, he just loves God. When in fact, that guy actually just hates people. He can't stand to be around them. And so his favorite thing is to go read his Bible, right? And in Israel at the time, in Jerusalem, the people had used religion as a way to cover over the fact 
that they didn't want to take care of the poor. They didn't want to take care of the fatherless. They didn't want to take care of widows. Having to sacrifice my time and my schedule for other people, that's not what I want to do. I just want to go do religious things. Everyone will think I love God when in fact I just hate people. And the scripture is saying that is what had become of Israel and Judah and Jerusalem. They're faithless. But the next thing is that God uh, names the church to show how angry he is. God names the church to show how angry he is. In this passage, God has called his courtroom into session. He has um, commanded the armies of the Lord. It, It says here in verse 24, the Lord of hosts, right? He's declaring who he is. The Lord of hosts, the mighty one of Israel. And God calls them faithless. He uses that harsh language to show them how angry he is about sin in the church. How angry he had become. He says, I will get relief for my enemies and avenge myself on my foes. And the idea there when he says get relief, it seems like a strange way to put it. But they're trying to get at the idea that God is so offended by what has happened in Jerusalem. He is so bothered and offended by what his children have become. Um, think about, I don't know, when you see, uh, you've told your son not to push his sister off the couch, uh, you know, three different times, and finally he does it and he really hurts her. And there's something in you that just kind of rises up like, you're not supposed to do that, you're, you're going to hurt her, stop. And multiply that times, you know, a million, and that's something what, what God is trying to say here is that I am going to get relief. I am bothered by what has happened to my people. And this whole idea of avenge myself, he's trying to get at that. He is going to do something that is in accord with justice. That they have sunk to a level that justice demands that God do something about this. He names the church this way. To show how angry he is about their sin. That those who make the needy their enemies will find themselves enemies of God. And it's important to see here that God's not flying off the handle. We've all lost our temper. You've seen people lost your temper. Maybe you grew up in a house where someone losing their temper was a regular part of why your family was so hard to be a part of. That's not what God is doing here. He's... He's not lost control. Try to picture an an Olympic athlete who is as passionate and as driven and as singularly focused to win that race. I mean, their heart and their soul are into it. And yet, they are under absolute laser precision control. No loss of control. Their emotions haven't taken over them to the point where they've just lost themselves. But God is passionately angry about what his children have become. But he hasn't lost his temper. Isn't this just an Old Testament thing? Um, Isn't this why um, people don't really read the Old Testament as much? Because the, the New Testament, God doesn't do this, right? Read the Gospels. Um... 
There's a scene in, in John's Gospel especially where it talks about him driving the people and the animals, it says, out of the temple. He drove them out. He didn't ask them politely to leave. He drove them out. And there's a little detail that John includes before Jesus drives those people out. And it's this. He took the time to make the whip that he used to drive the people out of the temple. He didn't go buy it somewhere. He didn't borrow it. Jesus made that whip. He was thinking about what he was going to do with it. Jesus was no different than this God who revealed himself to Isaiah and revealed himself to Jerusalem. The Apostle Paul says this in Romans, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and the unrighteousness of men. In the last book of the Bible, you go all the way to the end of the Bible, Revelation, and God talks about the fact that we all live during this time called the tribulation. And it's the tribulation because we live in a time where sin is everywhere and God is angry with it and we see the effects of his anger against sin. Red Mountain Church, how how does this apply to you? I'll just say this. Can you accept God's harsh language about your sin? Can you accept it? Can you, can you hear what God calls your sin faithlessness? Um, that's a hard thing to hear. But he says he's the Lord of hosts. And he is our husband. He loves us and he cares about us. And he wants to wake us up. Because that's the first name. Now for the good news, right? The second name, God God names the church, this second name, to reveal his love behind the anger. Reveals his love behind the anger. In in verse 25 he says, I will turn my hand against you and smelt away your dross with lye and remove all your alloy. And in order to understand this image, you have to see the background of it. And the background is that when, when you would heat a precious metal up, I've never done this before in Jerusalem. This is how it happened, apparently. And the baser, the the impurities, would combust. And it would leave what was pure behind. It would leave the, the impurities behind, and the gold, and the silver, and the pure, precious metal would be exposed. And God is saying, I love you. I love you, Jerusalem. I love you, church. Behind my anger, behind the clouds of my anger is the shining sun of my love because I want to purify you. I want to make something amazing and glorious and good. And his plan is unstoppable. This is not contingent on faith or repentance. He's saying, this is what I am going to do because I'm God. And John the Baptist says something similar in the New Testament. His winnowing fork is in his hand to clear the threshing floor, to gather the wheat into his barn, but the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. The image there is this threshing floor, and God is going to purify it and take what's the pure wheat and separate it from the chaff. And this is the point, is that God's salvation is always at work in the midst of his anger against sin. The outworking of God's salvation in the gospel is always at work in the midst of his anger against sin. One is coming through the other. He also names the church 
um, to show his faithfulness. We finally get to the second name. It it takes a verse to get there, but in verse 26, he, he does come to the name. And I will restore your judges as at the first, and your counselors as at the beginning. And afterwards, you shall be called the city of righteousness, the faithful city. See, at this time in Jerusalem, this city, the capital, it was where the judges and the counselors, you know, um, governed the, the, the entire country. And it was especially the place where the king, the ultimate judge, the king, the ultimate counselor, governed and watched over his country. Jesus himself called himself, was called by others, right, the son of David, the true king, the true counselor, the true judge. And the point here is that God names his church faithful and righteous to reveal God's faithfulness. Not the church's, fundamentally, but to reveal God's righteousness. The judge and the counselor comes to give us a new name. We who are faithless, our great judge and counselor comes to pronounce, I will give you a new name, you who I called faithless. Your new name will be faithful. You are full of sin, I'll give you a new name. The name is righteous. And this is true of every believer, everyone in Christ. Look at verse 27. The next thing to see here about God's name is that it's actually true. We talked in the beginning about, how do I know the names people give me are true? That can't be true about me. Um, every time someone... Cons- this is not to discourage you from uh, complimenting my sermon. This is a strange thing to say. But of course, every time you get a compliment like that, your knee-jerk reaction is always, oh, is that really true? Uh, I'm probably just being polite. How do you know the names people give you are true? God tells us the name he gives us and why it can be true in verse 27. That Zion shall be redeemed by justice. It's by justice that that name is true. And those who repent in her by righteousness. That word redeemed there in verse 27, very, very important. In the Bible, it's very specifically talking about what God does to pay the price to ransom someone who's held captive. And God is saying, I will ransom them. I will pay the price to rescue them. And redemption is according to God's justice because it was Jesus Christ himself who paid the price on the cross for our ransom, for our redemption, so that God could call his church righteous, so that God could give us a new name. You are no longer the faithless city, you're the faithful city. Paul puts it this way, that God might be both just and the justifier of those who believe in Jesus. God made him who knew no sin to become sin for us, so that in him we could become the righteousness of God. So that, Jesus even said to prostitutes, right, in the New Testament, prostitutes who believed in Christ, the righteous one, you're going to enter the kingdom of God way before the Pharisees and the scribes ever will. Because it's not based on your faithfulness. It's based on mine. It's not based on your righteousness. It's based on mine, God says. The Red Mountain Church, do you know the name God has given you? 
Do you know the song that God sings over you? I have given you a new name. City of faithfulness. The city of righteousness. Not based on your, your parenting skills or whether you're married or single or which money you make. How well known you are in Birmingham. I've done it. I've brought you into my city. And the name that God gives you, of course, is the only name in the end that really matters, isn't it? It's what, it's what you tell, tell your children. They come home and so-and-so called them stupid and pick them up in your arms and you say, I'm sorry, Daddy loves you. And you know what Daddy thinks about you? That's the part that really matters. What God wants Israel to see and us to see. I've given you a new name. And that is the name that counts in the end. Finally, a warning. I can't cover this passage without talking about this briefly. It's just, he says in verse 28, but rebels and sinners shall be broken together and those who forsake the Lord shall be consumed. The point that Isaiah is trying to make one more time is that rejecting our great husband, the Lord God himself, has great consequences. Those who reject God's call to repent and to believe in him, and and we who have so much more than Jerusalem ever did, like the Holy Spirit poured out, Jesus crucified and risen, we who have so more much, if we neglect what our great husband has done for us, There will be great consequences. He continues, For they shall be ashamed of the oaks that you desired. You shall blush for the gardens that you've chosen. For you shall be like an oak whose leaf withers, and like a garden without water. And the strong shall become like tender. In his work a spark, and both of them shall burn together with none to quench them. God using the image there of the particular idols that were popular in Israel where they would go up on the hills and there was a certain type of wood and certain types of trees that they would worship around and worship false gods around. God is saying the wood and the trees, you're going to be embarrassed about all of it. All the idols that you wrapped your arms around instead of me, the true lover, your husband who died for you. Those of you who reject me, you'll be so embarrassed that you didn't take me when when I expose your idols to be what they are. We have God's mercy towards sinners so much more gloriously displayed than Isaiah did in his time. He looked forward to it. We get to see it. Displayed on the cross, Jesus absorbing the justice that we deserve, Jesus giving us the righteousness that belongs to him so that God gives us a new name, faithful and righteous. And we do that even as we look at ourselves and go, I know you've given me this new name, Lord. I don't live up to it. I don't feel very righteous. I don't feel very faithful. And so we have to look to God's promise in faith. When we look to ourselves and think, my character doesn't add up to this new name. It just doesn't. And so we have to walk by faith. Until until one day when Jesus returns, when we go to be with him, 
when he transforms us to the point where we look at ourselves and go, oh, I am righteous. I am faithful. Because of my faithful Savior and because of the righteousness of Jesus Christ. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we do look to you to lift our eyes to the Lord Jesus. There are so many things in ourselves that do discourage us. We don't feel righteous. Uh, We don't feel faithful. There's even times where we look to ourselves and we feel like there's just no faithfulness, no righteousness. And so would you lift our eyes towards you? Would you give us your name, Lord Jesus? Uh, That we might turn away from our other lovers towards you. We pray this in your name. Amen.